Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? Well, we had originally planned on meeting in person, but we couldn't find each other through the smoke. And so at some point, we just gave up and went to our own apartment. Yeah, at least if it was like the red blood, if we still had the red blood, it would be more interesting. You know, like the red blood, the sky. But yeah, now just like it's it's kind of foggy, except without the fun, cool temperatures. Yeah, well, at least that part is better. Uh, okay, what did we watch today? We've watched the 2001 cult classic Donnie Darko uh, by Kelly somebody who never Richard made it Kelly. Yeah. Richard Kelly. Yep, basically. It's, um, I think that this was my pick. And the reason it definitely why I... was my pick. <laughs> oh, are you telling me that you wouldn't be capable of picking this? Okay. <laughs> So one of the reasons why I picked this is because both of us mentioned about Donnie Darko in the past, and I think that we didn't think that it was a bad movie. Yeah, we both had the general consensus that this was a good, if flawed, fun cult classic film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is that we came from actually watching uh, Happiness, that is about suburban America going wrong. And also, uh, Mulholland Drive, that is a bit more of a twist story with paranoia and, you know, imaginative things happening. Uh huh. Stuff happening that you're not sure if it's real, did that actually happen, mm-hmm. what's going on. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that it was like a bit of a good combination that actually like following up both of them. And besides that, is I know that Mulholland Drive is a movie that I love, Happiness is a movie that I love. And I was wondering because the last time that I watched it, that it was like pretty close to the release, probably like 2002, this movie, is like I thought that it was mind blowing. I thought it Johnny was like Darko. Johnny Darko. Yeah, I thought that it was the kind of mind blowing story with twist and very smart and very, I don't know, edgy. Which is very similar to the memory I have. I don't remember the last time I saw it, but it has to be at least 15 years. Um, and I had the same recollection as you, so yes. Yeah, so what is this movie about? This movie is about um, Jake Gyllenhaal, a young high school student uh, named Donnie Darko, and he is seeing a therapist, he's been acting out, and um, he seems to be what you might call a paranoid schizophrenic, um, but then he starts to become obsessed with time travel and a jet engine crashes into his bed but he was let out of bed by a giant evil bunny that talks to him named Frank Um, and it's kind of like a straightforward school story I don't don't even know how to describe this (laughs) how do you explain Patrick Swayze in this movie? Uh, what was the name? Uh, Leonard Ritchie, you know The Simpsons? Like the fictional character that they had like presenting the uh, educational videos. They, yeah. they always use the same actor. He was that. He was that role. Is that there are like yeah, many so things... Like a minor local... No, go ahead. What I was going to say is that there are like many, many uh, specific details in this movie that you can just point to another pop culture reference and it's like, oh, that's from there. Uh, yeah, I wish I disagreed with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did I give enough of a synopsis? Can we continue? I, I don't. 
I don't know. There's supernatural elements. There's different dimensions. Patrick Swayze shows up as kind of a, a motivational speaker, and he doesn't seem to. He doesn't end up being what he seems, and we just kind of watch Donnie Darko devolve, and these weird supernatural events happen. There you go. Uh, that's good. That's good. So, what do you think of the movie? Did you like it? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So, like we just said, I have memories of this being edgy and interesting and thought-provoking. It made me think about the film a lot. And I actually started to watch this movie last night, Saturday night. And um, I was a little bit high and I was like, no, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to watch the whole thing sitting down, paying attention today, which I did. And um, it just, it all felt like an imitation of better films and better ideas. And then I dove into the meaning behind the film and everybody talks about the difference between Donnie Darko that was released and Donnie, Do Donnie Darko the director's cut which the director's cut essentially spells everything out for you which thank god some like studio editor was like no we're gonna try and leave a little bit of mystery here <laughs> um I just, I, it was kind of bland, and I don't know if maybe Donnie Darko, when it came out in 2001, was kind of new and different, and that's why we were impressed by it, and now, 20 years later, we're like, eh. I mean, the thing is, like, uh, I was feeling that this movie's trying pretty hard to just be this dark, late 90s, early 2000s. It's like all the aesthetic, all the characters that they are presenting, is like, yeah, I get it. You are exactly from 2001. But beyond that, beyond like the exercise of just trying to uh, display what that specific point in time was, that is funny because it, it actually takes place in 88, but it's a diastetic and everything is actually could actually go through as being from 2001. Yeah, I was actually surprised when I was reading about the film afterwards and they're like, oh, they made this a period piece. And I was like, what? That's the, that's the 2001 I remember. I don't, were they trying to like convince us that of the, the dad's polos? I don't know. It felt like 2001 to me. Yeah, everything felt like 2001. It's like they didn't... The thing is that when you see other pieces, as when we watch uh, Mandy, was it? Yeah, Mandy, is that they try like really hard to be 80s. Is that they put all their energies into displaying that this is the 80s. This movie is that the only thing that they think that they say that is a really 80s is when they talk about Dukaki. That is a, Dukakis, yeah. Yeah, Dukakis is a, yeah, I, yeah, okay, that was the 80s, it was not the 2000s. But beyond that, I felt like, okay, besides that, everything else I could just point to another movie is that you are two years or three years after happiness. You are, what, two years after uh, American Beauty? I think that it was 99. Yep. Uh, the same year as Mulholland Drive, but years after, uh, how do you say, uh, Lost Highway. So, and then you actually made like a lot of comedy, high school comedy, you know, like high school dramedy, more than comedy. That is like, who is this target to? And I think that it's like, it was target to me in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were the intended audience and we sure bought the product. Um, yeah. So, what's your theory about why it was set in 1988? No. The only thing I can guess is that there was no technology, no cell phones. I mean, not no technology, but different technology. But how could having cell phones have impacted this story? You know that there are like many stories that if you had a cell phone, if the characters had a cell phone, the story is over in the three first minutes of the movie. 
But in these movies, like if they had a cell phone, if they had like more technology, if the internet was a thing. Well, I mean, there's at the end, there's that like the therapist trying to get Donnie Darko's mom to call her back, and she's like, "It's urgent, call me," and she can't get a hold of the mom because the mom's in New York, and the mom has to call from the payphone. And I, yeah, no, you're right. There's there's not a lot there that could have been solved by a, a cell phone. So that that's what made me curious about why they would have put it in 1988. I don't know. I don't even think it's that interesting to ponder. It's like. <laughs> Uh, the only thing that I'm thinking about, and this is like pretty stupid, but fuck it if it's the case, is that the uh, the soundtrack is songs from the 80s. See, to me, it sounded like late 90s. We we talked about this off 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 camera, off recording. That the music to this, I, it feels to me like they stole the theme from uh, the Virgin Suicides, this very melancholy kind of uh, folk music, the guitars. And, um, but yeah, they do play a lot of really good 80s music. And actually now I kept thinking, why are they playing this shitty music at the school dance? Not at the school dance, where were they? Oh, at the party, sorry. At the party at their house. I was like, why are they playing 80s music? Now, now it all makes sense. Everything was 80s, you know, that the whole yeah. soundtrack is supposed to be happening there. That it almost feels like a... It almost feels like the director or whoever came up with this idea. They thought, hey, what do we want to play as music? And the guy's like, oh, look, I love Tears for Fears. I love, uh, I love uh, Econ Divanime. And this is like probably like pretty cheap licenses that we can get. And we're going to have like a really, really cool soundtrack. So they're all from the 80s. Let's just say it in the 80s. And to be fair, if you think about the music, I, it, it's pretty cool the way they did it. Uh, I think you always ask, is, is there anything artistic here? I think. The first time they show up to school and it's kind of a slow motion with cool music and you see the dancers dancing and like the rebels being rebels. I liked that scene. I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. I find it like super can... funny. I find it like, you know, this is like just, this is just like a mean girls, clueless level. You know, okay, I'm going to be like doing like the shots where I like just saw like the different social groups that they exist in the high school. But the funny thing, like in this one, they were like doing a slowdown and then just speeding up. So you were, like, <laughs> not to jump forward to the end of the podcast questions, but you don't think there was anything artistic here? I still like the design of the uh, of the rabbit, but it's the only design that it has some kind of merit in the movie. But even that, so last night when I was watching it and I was high, I was like, I'm not going to get the emotional impact that I used to have because of the weed or the whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was very excited when Frank the rabbit showed up and the creepy boys and the weird wormhole bubbles to come out of his chest. And I just, I wasn't impressed by any of it. I, it just seems so... Dang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember you. It's like, it's funny how... Uh... That format of just having something dark and gritty, it doesn't impact us anymore, or at least in the same kind of way. It, it's not like a dark, edgy movie anymore. It's just like a time, sorry, a product of its time. So I, I can't remember if this is on last week's podcast. It might have happened after we stopped recording, but we, we were like, let's watch Donnie Darko. Great. What else has that director done? <laughs> yeah. And he hasn't done anything else interesting, um, and it turns out he never did anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it actually just presents the idea that it's like he's a one-hit wonder. 
But I don't, I don't know that this is a hit. I, I feel like both of us, 19 years after it came out, it didn't age well. So maybe this is one of those that's timely, but not timeless. Maybe it was cool in 2001 and hit the right notes. But the funny thing when we actually compare with other timely, not timeless movies, is that most of the time with those movies, they are enjoyable if you actually display yourself, you know, you put yourself on that time. For example, Lost Boys, I find it like an enjoyable movie. It's okay if you go without pretensions, I won't say that it's good, but it was an enjoyable movie. This one, I just feel dumb that I liked this and I thought that this was thought-provoking back in the day. Is that because at yeah. the same time, there were like other movies that they were significantly smarter than this in any single thing that he tries to do. So how old were you in 2001? I was 17. Oh, so you have excuse. <laughs> so I didn't know any better. I was in rural okay. Idaho. <laughs> sure, I was 21. So, I mean, all joking aside, I think we were at very different places in our film tastes than we are today. And that I'm sure this, rightly so, seemed different than what was being showed in mainstream theaters. I, I don't know, I, I'm desperately trying to find for a reason why I thought this was cool, and it's not cool. Maybe, but the thing is, like, at the same time, is a like, what do you think that is the age demographic that this is targeted to? If you actually were towards this with 35 years, do you think that you will relate to it in any kind of way? Um, I just watched it as a 36-year-old, and no. The answer is no. <laughs> okay. But I'm trying to just think in 2001, you know, if at that point it would feel like, this is dumb, you know, is that the script is not smart enough. So I often have this discussion about young adult literature, how often you see that, let's talk about um, The Hunger Games, for instance. Like, the way that my parents saw The Hunger Games, they're like, this is horrific, this is a story of an apocalypse where adults let humans fight to death, or kids fight to death. The purpose wasn't to be horrific and that kids fight. The perfect in YA fiction is that they kill off the parents so that kids feel like they're the protagonist, right? It's not sad that the parents, I mean, it is, but the whole point is just to give these kids the autonomy to be protagonists. So I think this film was targeted towards late teenagers, ki kids in their early 20s, yeah. and somehow it made them feel like the protagonist, like something could happen uh, without their parents noticing and that they could be at the front of an interesting story, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the thing that I find hilarious too, also along those lines, is that the parents, they look like they are drunk or high the whole time. <laughs> I did laugh several times at the dad when he would laugh at his children's insults to each other. That was, that was very funny. Yeah. It's like, wow, parenthood. Yep, and then you actually wonder why your kid actually needs therapy. <laughs> or uh, when they're on the uh, on the parents' meeting in the high school, you know, and the, uh, and the mother starts talking, but the mother is like with the head like that, like on this side, <laughs> it's like, are you high? <laughs> so, the film kind of, the plot of the last half kind of, it's related to a book in the film called The Philosophy of Time Travel. Um, and then we were talking earlier about the difference between the studio cut and the director's cut. In the director's cut, it spells out exactly what's in this book and it explains almost verbatim what's happening to Donnie Darko and it's actual time travel. And that's the way his world is interpreted, or paranoid schizophrenia is the way normal people are experiencing it or observing this in him. 
Yeah. Do you think it worked better explaining exactly what was happening or no. wondering what is happening? His schizophrenia, mental health, or something crazy? I had the feeling that the version that I watched originally was the, was the director's cut. Because in this case, with the first time that they talk about uh, time travel, I was watching this with a friend and I thought, like, did I miss something? Because they haven't like given any kind of indicator that there is like time travel up to this point. And I think that there were like some scenes that they deleted that it makes him start thinking about time traveling. So do you think it was better to make it more ambiguous? Is this mental health? Is it time travel? Or do you think they should have spelled it out? They should have spelled it out. Because the thing is like for uh, having a script that works with playing with the, the ambiguity, or is, it, is this time travel, or is this actually uh, just a schizophrenia? Your script has to be better. It has to be significantly more solid than this is. That is also something I was very surprised by at how weak the script was. Yeah. Like there was some cool, like the conversation at the family table where Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal are pretending to be adversarial siblings. That was that was funny and cool. But overall, the script is just like. Like at the end when his girlfriend, he's like, oh, my mom disappeared. I think she's been murdered. And they just start to make out and party. I was like, yeah. no, none of this makes sense. What's happening? Yeah, it's the thing that is like as an adult, especially just after watching like Happiness some weeks ago. And it's like, holy shit, this script is amazing. This one is the opposite. It's like the point that you start like just stop and think what they're saying is like, who brought this, a monkey? And he wrote it, right? And we were just talking last week about how he should not write his own script. Who? Tosh Holland? Richard Carey. Oh. Richard Kelly. <laughs> yep, he wrote it. He sure wrote it. And this was not his first movie. <laughs> So, so here's a little bit of trivia from IMDb that I think is representative of how interesting the film as a whole is. Professor Kenneth Monatoff, Noah Wiley's character, is seen eating hard candy in some scenes because uh, Noah Wiley decided his character would be diabetic. See these <laughs> super interesting character notes that we're supposed to know? No, I mean, all of this is just so superficial. There's nothing, there's no meat there. It didn't age well. No, it aged well visually, but in terms of the story, no, it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's probably Richard Kelly, like, has saw potential for just mixing up, like, the two worlds, you know, like, the surviving America and the supernatural playing with the schizophrenia. And it had, like, some kind of potential there, you know, but it's like now when you actually don't feel so impacted by the aesthetics, or the uh, or the special effects is is an exercise of emptiness. Yep, I I couldn't agree more. I'm super disappointed. I was excited to watch this film, uh, and it was kind of a waste of time. Did you like how many shots are there of Drew Barrymore that they don't have any kind of relevance? So I also, I used to own the director's cut and I can't remember what was in it, but it seemed to me, because she was kind of an interesting character, that there had to be more. There had to be something in her story that got cut out because I liked her as a character, but it didn't make any sense why like her firing had anything to do with the story. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe you know, is that the reason why we didn't like him and we think that the script was atrocious it was because we didn't watch the, the, right, the right version. And I also got a little annoyed at how, like um, Mulholland Drive, basically the half of the film never happened. And then we just kind of had to, I mean, it did, but it didn't. And then you see the characters afterwards and... Yeah, it was so, just like this is really cheap. It's really cheap the way they did this. Yeah, there are like two things that I thought at the end. Is that the first one is like when they're like showing where the engine just falls through the house and just supposedly kills Donnie Darko. Uh, I I found hilarious like the scene while uh, Mark Wall is playing by Tears of Fears, uh, how they're like just showing all the characters like they're just being sad, other places. <laughs> that is a so the song is sad. We all agree on this, you know, and the situation for Donnie Darko is sad, but it's like, why the rest of the characters that you're showing are sad? Because Frank preparing the drawing, you know, like the uh, the costume is like, why, why is that sad in any kind of way? So that, that part I found it like stupid. And the second part, what I was thinking is like, what about that is actually left out pretty open from the perspective of just being a schizophrenia? Because he could actually be having that dream while the engine is falling on him, while he's dying. So basically like Mulholland Drive. But thanks to the director's cut, we understand no, no, no. A second universe opened up. Yep. <laughs> and uh, then very conveniently, that second universe went away in time for the movie to end and everything wrapped up very nicely. Nope, yep. I'm getting more and more upset at this film as we talk about <laughs> God. Okay, so what is what is your score? Let's talk about will we remember this? <laughs> Absolutely. Twenty years later, I remembered most of the story, so it's not forgettable exactly. It's not good. Um, would I recommend this? Up until today, I would have. <laughs> now there's nobody that I would be like, oh man, you gotta check out Donnie Darko if you haven't seen it. The funny thing is like I'm pretty sure that I recommend this and I talk about this movie with many people over the years. <laughs> you know, it's it's the kind of me that it tells you is that oh you know I like like sci-fi and dark kind of stuff. Is it just check Donnie Darko? I remember that I really liked it. And it's like now I'm starting to doubt myself because there are like many movies that I watch that we rewatch here that I rewatch them now and it was like okay, I have good taste back then. It's like this is not an example of those. You should post something on Facebook apologizing to all those you recommended this movie to. <laughs> I think that they are not my friends anymore. It's that they learn, it's like, holy shit, he recommended me this shit. Um, I think that I will remember it, but I think that right now I will remember it more of as a cautionary tale. <laughs> about like, don't trust yourself. Don't, don't trust, trust your own memory from yeah. the early 2000s. Yeah, he said you were a different person. Let's just leave it there. Um, and if I would recommend it, not anymore. No. Not anymore. Okay. This this movie, if it actually comes up in a conversation and someone says that Donnie Darko was great, I will ask him what was the last time that you watched it. Yep. Yep. So if you ask my score, I went back and forth between a 3.5 and a 4, and I would think I'm going to give this a 4 for all the pleasure it gave me in the early 2000s. <laughs> Uh, but mostly that's a nostalgia score. I don't know. I was just so <laughs> underwhelmed. I don't... It kind of ruined this movie for me, watching it again. Yeah, I was thinking about giving it a four, but you have convinced me to actually just giving it a less. 
Should I go to going with a 3.5? Because the only thing that I think that is saves, saves quote unquote, this movie is the soundtrack. Uh, and second, the uh, the quote that I send you, there is a sometimes I doubt that you are committed enough for robbing. Sparkle motion. Sparkle motion. That is a, that quote is funny, but the rest of the movie, it doesn't fit into this. Is that you're just putting a part of comedies into something that is supposed to be so edgy. Yeah, no, I can't. I mean, 3.5 feels right to me. <laughs> All right, so what are we watching this time? Uh, so before the podcast, I gave Jose the choice to choose to return to the world of Charles Kaufman or David Lynch. He chose Charles Kaufman. So we're going to be watching Being John Malkovich. And so help me God, if I realize that that's a shitty movie after we rewatch this, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> you chose it, man. It's not my <laughs> pick for just making you suffer this. I already opened your eyes to the tour that Donnie Darko was. So, <laughs> all right, man. Uh, anything else to say about Donnie Darko? I'm. I just really apologize to everyone I recommended this to. It's <laughs> not my best recommendation. That's fair. But the funny thing is that most of the people, uh, people that they were like just picking me yesterday, hey, what are you doing? And I was saying, oh, I'm watching Donnie Darko. Everyone told me basically the same that that movie was good or that movie was really dark. And the next thing you have to ask them is, how old were you when you saw this? Yep, that's what I learned today. Never trust people. No, no. Or Not even myself. Memory. Exactly. Yep. All right, man. Well, this was great. See you next time with Vinjo Makovic. Wash your hands. Bye.